Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with speechpathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to speechpathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses, plus select autism outreach podcasts for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code AUTISM at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code AUTISM to get started today. Today, I have a great conversation with Lindsay Nataki. She is a fellow speech-language pathologist, and we talk about parent education and support and how we can do a better job as professionals in supporting parents. We also talk about mentoring new SLPs. Lindsay and her business partner, Leah, strive to educate parents and professionals on how to help their children grow. Speech and language is so much more than words being produced. The child has to be emotionally supported and encouraged to communicate. But parents need that support too. They educate in a positive way to reduce parent guilt, increase communication, and strengthen family bonds. So we talk all about what does parent training mean? How does she provide that parent training component in a private practice setting and also in a public school setting? And we have such a great conversation as well about collaborative services. So you're going to want to Tune in and listen to this episode. Let's get started. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. All right. Thanks for joining us on episode 26 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I'm here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have with us Lindsay Nataki. Thanks for joining us, Lindsay. It's so nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, I got to know Lindsay. I think the first time was just maybe within the past six months because we did a TikTok collab, right? Yeah, that was around Valentine's Day. And yeah, that was really fun. I was very nervous. I was like, how am I going to find a song to get all these videos? But we did it. And it was cute. It was cute. It was a very popular reel. I talk about social media a lot on the podcast because... Let's face it, I'm on there a lot. But Lindsay is an amazing TikToker. So if you haven't checked her out on there, you need to. And I know we're going to get into that too. But can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into being a speech therapist? Yeah. So I am based in Los Angeles. I did my undergrad at San Diego State University. And then my graduate program was at the University of Montevallo in Alabama. So I actually went across the nation there for a little bit. But it was great. I mean, I love being an SLP. I think my journey is similar to, you know, the typical grad student, just kind of grinding it through grad school and then learning most of the bulk of what we do on the job. And I think that's what motivated me to start all these social media accounts is because A, I didn't have any of that kind of mentorship or guidance when I was in school. And 
And then B, when I'm working with all these parents, I'm just realizing that their access to information, like very easy, basic strategies, it's limited. And I want to like give them that information, you know? And that's, yeah. So that was kind of like the motivation for me to start my YouTube channel. First of all, that was the very first thing that I started um, at the start of the pandemic. Uh, at the start of the pandemic? Yeah. Oh, I think so. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah, so, so how long have you been a speech therapist then? Um, this is my seventh year with my C's. Oh, okay. Wonderful. So do you work in a private, pra- do you have a private practice or do you work in a school or kind of what's been your journey so far? Yeah. So at the start of my career for my CF, I was in early intervention and that's where I worked there before I became an SLP as well. And then after that, I got hired within the school district at at the preschool level. So that's where I am right now, full-time. And then um, I started my private practice, I guess, right or just before the the start of the pandemic. Wow. (laughs) You sound really busy too. Okay. I knew I would get along with you. Yes. A multitasker. Okay. Because I divide my time between public school, my own practice, and then all the social media stuff. So, oh, interesting because I feel like, yeah, I just started seeing you on Instagram and TikTok all the time. And I'm like, oh, I like this girl. She's got a lot of great stuff to say. And I think I'm always kind of attracted to, in my private practice, I'm starting to see a lot younger kids. Like one year I did just preschool. And I really loved that. But then I got into a different school district. And then I started working with a particular group of kids. And then as they got older in school, actually, they're actually, you know, all like middle school, high school level, then I just kind of work three days a week. I work with students in middle school and high school, which I absolutely love. But I think I'm always kind of drawn to people who talk about early intervention. Um, like I was telling you before, like we've had Jesse Ginsburg on. She's a wealth of information. She's right out in your same area. And then also Carrie Ebert, who, oh my gosh, I just bought her new. She has a new book that's also an assessment for early intervention in autism. And it's so amazing. I'm using that along with the VB map, which is more like from the BCBA side of me. And I've been using both those in conjunction together. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really perfect. So I'm excited to um, to have you on. So when did you... So you just started your YouTube and your Instagram like prior to COVID or... Uh, yeah, my Instagram, I, I think I started a little bit before the pandemic hit. And then during the pandemic is when I started my YouTube. Oh, that's great. Because um, I, I think you're right. Parents are always really looking for, and we have a lot of parents that listen to the podcast too, but it's sometimes it's hard to know there's so much information sometimes, or sometimes you meet people and they don't have access to information. And so I think it's really good that you're out there providing that. And I know we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about a couple different things, but one of the things that you do a lot of which I really love and something that's really um, I'm passionate about is really disseminating information and getting information out there that's very helpful because two of my podcasts that I've had recently are parents who have autistic children. And so I always like to talk to parents, you know, as part of their journey. I know if you work in a school too, when we work with parents, I feel like it's collaborative, but I feel like there's some barriers to that collaboration in a school. There's certain things and boundaries we need to keep and all that stuff. And so I always like to have parents on to really talk to them and maybe ask the questions I wish I could ask my parents um, in my everyday job. So I think that's going to be great to talk about that. Um, So tell us a little bit like about parent education or parent support, like maybe how you're doing that on social media, but then how that also ties into your job as a speech therapist too. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we know, as professionals, you know, having the parents on board and using the skills and strategies at home is really going to help with generalization and maintenance of any skill that we're working on. So we always want to bring them on board. But what I was realizing as I was doing my field work is that parents weren't being taught exactly how to do things. And there was 
sometimes like there's like, there's two different caveats. There's, there's parents who did not have access to the information and then just didn't know what to do. And then there were parents that had access to so much information. They didn't know which one to adapt to their lifestyle. And so really what was happening was I was going over really basic, like learning to learn behaviors, teaching sign language, teaching them withholding and sabotaging, like, you know, very strategies that parents naturally do. And I realized that they weren't getting that information. So I wanted to, instead of repeating myself family after family, I was like, well, hold on, let's be a little more efficient with this because this is, this is information that any parent can benefit from. Let me get this information out. And then there were some parents that were doing it and they just weren't sure if they're were doing it right. And they just needed that validation. Like, yeah, like you're doing it. You're, you're, you're doing it right. And, and it's amazing. And, and so those parents, I also wanted to support because, you know, sometimes within the family dynamic, there are in-laws or cousins that are saying, Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, you're stressed out too much. And, you know, I need to be in that corner. Like, no, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. You are exactly right. Like, yes, go after that assessment or yes, trust your parent gut. You know your child best. And so just being there in the parent's corner, because I think educationally wise going through grad school, you know, it's so much about the kid. Like, what does a kid need, you know, and, and pulling, making sure the parent's on board, making sure the parent's on board. But then as I was becoming an SLP, I realized the parent's are like depleted, like nobody is supporting them, you know, or, or they're just not getting as much support as, you know, all the professionals are so focused on the kids. So that was another thing that I wanted to really do with my private practice is yes, this is what this research says. This is what has worked for a lot of the kids that we've worked with, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily always going to work for your specific family. Your family is different and unique and you are the parent and you run that family. So if you feel like Mm, I don't know if I'm ready for this, or I don't know if it's going to work. Um, but okay, then that's fine. We could we could do something else, you know. And it's okay. Like right. you're not a bad parent because of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I do some parent consultations too, and I think sometimes parents, you know, I, I sometimes work with parents who have a wealth of information, and so they have so much information. They have a speech therapist, and they have a BCBA, and they have a whole team, but sometimes they still want to talk to me because they kind of just want to use me as a sounding board almost and say like, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, what do you think? You know, and like, because sometimes with your own providers, when, you know, I do a lot of in-home with my private practice. And so I'm able to talk to the parents and it's really nice to be able to do that. It's just so different than a public school, even if I I feel like I have good communication with my parents, but it's just different. Um, But it can be hard to ask, you know, the people that are working with your child, all those kind of questions that you want to ask because, you know, they're working with your child. So it's like, this dynamic of, you know, parent coaching and being there for the child. But I I think that idea of the parent being such an important part of the team is something that I have always thought was very important too. And then now that I have my own, I have three kids of my own, just realizing that it's so important, (laughs) you know, their feedback, whether we want to hear it or not, or whether we're afraid to ask sometimes, um, you know, it's really important. So we need to make sure that they feel like they're heard. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that every parent has a different need. Like, just like you're saying, I was just talking to another parent and I was saying, like, you know, you want this to fit into your 
your family style. Like you don't want to completely disrupt the whole flow of your family is that I always try to, in my own home, just think of little tweaks and little modifications that I can embed um, to work on whatever it is. My kids need to read 20 minutes a day or whatever it is. So I like that idea that you're able to support parents in that way. So is that a big part of your private practice where you know, you're know you working with the parents? Do you provide in-home therapy or is it more teletherapy or what does that look like? Um, it's in-home, but um, I did go teletherapy through the pandemic and now I'm just now starting to get back into in-person. But yeah, you know, it's a, a big part is is supporting the parents. And but really this my social media, I think, is the biggest parent educational support that I am able to give right now. Mm-hmm. That's the most effective, I would say, and efficient because with my YouTube channel, I'm able to reach people in like other countries, like they're contacting me and across the nation. So it's just kind of nice to be able to break down these strategies that have like big bang for their buck, you know, like if you just, you know, do these things um, throughout the day, you know, set up structure. And, you know, it's it's nice to hear back from from parents that like something that they watched on YouTube, they were able to apply it and it has really helped their child. It's a, that's an amazing feeling. That is cool. And it sounds like you started your YouTube. What is the name of your YouTube or like across your social medias? What is the name of your business again? Help me grow speech. Help me grow speech. Okay. So it sounds like kind of similar. I started my YouTube, which is called ABA speech, just out of a need. I was teaching a lot of my autistic students some modified leisure skills. And so one of the first videos I ever made was with my own kids um, because I could kind of control that environment. And, and do the videoing, but it was modified Uno. So it's just like you take all the reverse and the skip. And for some students, I just put one blue, one green, one red, one yellow, and then we pick a card and we match it. And I was working on that skill in a non-public program that I was working in. And I wanted the classroom staff to be able to work on this program when I was not present. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just like post it on YouTube. And then that's just really how it started. And then I started adding other videos. And then it was nice because I could share with everybody in the center, which got to be very large, which got to be like maybe a hundred staff members that I'm just interacting with all these different people, is that I could share this one cohesive thing that was going to help the students learn that specific skill. I could also share it with parents. And it sounds very similar. It's like out of a need, you're like, okay, more people need this information. Why don't I just make it in a way that makes it very easy to share and, and all those different things. So that's really great. And I think especially when you're talking about early learners, you know, with autism or speech delay or anything is that people really want information. They really want to know like, how can I help? Especially with, you know, in our area, and I'm sure I know California because I have some friends that are out there with COVID, you know, like help me grow and all those early intervention providers were not necessarily coming into the home. And I know parents like on the other end of that were feeling very frustrated. You know what I mean? And that lack of service was really, really hard or or students who were supposed to be evaluated at their local school district and then COVID hit. And then there's all these months, right? Where they're not getting any service. So, I mean, did you have parents that were kind of in similar situations? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was just devastating and like heartbreaking because we I couldn't really help physically, but I was still able to do virtual like consultations and, you know, trying to coach them, coach the parents through that way. And that leads me to like another thing that I um, do tie into my, my private practice a lot is uh, emotional regulation with kids, but also with parents. So this is something that growing up, I wasn't taught um, culturally for, for Asians. That's just not 
a common thing for us. And then I also grew up in the basketball world and I was a coach for many years. And so that was, you know, emotional regulation. You for sports, you can't have that emotion. You have to have ice in your veins, right? So you can't feel that. So my whole life growing up, I didn't have any of that. But now that I'm, since I've been working with kids with special needs and families, you know, it's just that emotional regulation piece is so important. And then not just with the kids, but also with the parents, because, you know, and you know, as a parent, you're always going to put your kids first, which is great. That means you're a great parent, but we also have to remember and remind the parents that if you aren't your best, you can't give your best for your child and socially. And I think on social media too, there's a lot of like parent guilt and parent shaming. Like, oh, if you get your nails done, then you're a bad parent. It's like, what? I just showed her my manicure. I get my done every two weeks. Yeah, that's, that's bad. There is a lot of parent shaming. I feel like on, I really, I do say I'm on social media a lot, but maybe I'm probably, I try to like not, I don't engage in the places I know that are going to be negative. But what's sad is like, if you don't like immerse yourself in social media, you don't know that that Facebook group that has a name that sounds kind of friendly that you think you can actually post a, a question in as parent, maybe with a newly diagnosed autistic student, child of your own. It's just, it's not everybody's friendly out there is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and that's another thing where, you know, I'm educating parents. Like if your self-care is you're going to get your eyelashes done, get it done. Mm-hmm. If it means that you're going to get your nails done, get your nails done. Like, right. like feel good, you mm-hmm. know? And like, just know that everything that you're doing is good. Like it's right. great. Keep, keep doing that. And then once the parents are believe it and buy in now, any strategy that we teach, you know, and that we move forward with, I mean, the success rate is like even higher because everyone's feeling good now. And even like, as the kids get older, like for preschool, it's the zones of regulations is big. And it's really important for parents to be able to model that. So mm-hmm. while the kids are, le- are little and the parents are kind of learning what zones are together, I tell parents, you know, start it now. You don't have to know it all right now. You can learn as you go. But that way, when your kid is in middle school and having an anxiety attack or feeling bullied or, or in the red zone somehow, now they have something to go back on the years that you've been training them essentially and teaching them how to get out of the red zone or whatever it is, whatever strategy you're going through, when they need it, they'll be able to get it. You don't want to, when they need it, you don't want to have to teach them now. Right. You know? Yeah. So the zones of regulation, if if you don't know what that is, we actually use that at my public school for a little bit. We, we don't as much anymore, but it was, it's identifying emotions and then there's different zones. And I know that the one teacher that um, when we were doing it, they would tie it into like a morning circle time where you're just kind of, you're kind of just checking in with yourself and saying like, how are you feeling at that time? And I, and I think that's really good, especially, I mean, our, our district has actually, and my own kids have been back the entire school year. So we've been really lucky here in Ohio, but it has been um, with the very like different schedules and everybody's wearing a mask. And so, you know, obviously some students, I would imagine, you know, if you have anxiety that it would be really amped up during this type of time. So I, yeah, so if you haven't heard of that curriculum, some people really like that. Um, but I like that idea of just kind of checking in and seeing how you're feeling. And um, I think that we all kind of need to do that. But I like that idea of, and that's really just like a, I always talk about like just building a therapeutic rapport. That's kind of like my own little term. But, you know, I try to do that with everybody on the team, right? Is like, sometimes you just want to need to talk about like, what did you do over the weekend? Or, you know, like just like reminiscing about about things. But that's how we build that relationship. And I loved how you said like, once you have of that and and everybody's feeling kind of regulated and good, you know, then people will be more open to try strategies. And, you know, I feel like when we can celebrate as a team, that's great. And then when things don't go as well, because 
you know, the student does need some support. So we're going to have some like little roadblocks that we can all kind of check in about that. So I think those are good. Those are good ideas to share. So in your in your school-based position, do you have any specific... I'm just curious because I've had different positions where, um, you know, we've had parent training, like maybe quarterly, we try to do like some type of parent training. I know it's COVID right now. But when I worked down in Austin, Texas, we had something called in-home parent training. And we actually, as an IEP team, could say like, this parent would really benefit from in-home parent training. And we would actually go to the parents' home. We were paid, you know, a, a, a rate, you know, to go out and do this, I'm sure. It was a long time ago now. But, and we would go out and it was usually autistic students, you know, who were um, newly diagnosed and the parents just needed support, you know, about communication and all kinds of things. So I would go out as a speech therapist. There would be an intervention specialist, a teacher, and um, we would just go out and support the parent in the home environment. It was really embedded within the IEP, which I thought was really, really cool because I don't, we don't really do that here in Ohio. We offer support support in other ways. But so is there anything like that in your district or how do you do you just tie that in kind of incidentally? Yeah. So we, um, for our school and that this is really specific to my preschool school site, we do have, I'm going to say every few months, we have a parent night where the parents can come and we educate them and train them and there's childcare so they could bring their child in the other room and um, hang out while we're teaching them. But we kind of go over communication and we have two different sessions that run simultaneously. One is for, you know, kids that are nonverbal. And then um, we have our emerging kind of um, verbal children or, you know, yeah, kind of parents can kind of pick uh, which session they want to go to um, based on their child's needs. And then we have um, a hands-on seminar basically where we have like toys lined up and then we're like, okay, so based off of, you know, what we told you today, let's do a little activity and parents pick a toy and then we kind of go through the toys on how to target differently. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think a lot of speech therapists would really like that. Like anything hands-on like that, I think is really good. When you get people up moving, doing, although sometimes when I'm the one that's not presenting, I'm kind of like, I am not getting up right now. (laughs) Like, I am not role playing with these bubbles. But as the presenter, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my jam. Like, I love that. Get people up and moving. Cause I think no matter what you talk about, you're like going to learn that way. Like, when you kind of get is. up, you're meeting other people, maybe you don't know. I think mm-hmm. that's really nice for parents too, is that kind of networking. And I know just some of the parents that I've had on the podcast have just said, like, you know, they felt kind of alone and just were overwhelmed and didn't know who to. To turn to. And like you said, like other family members and people are going to chime in with their opinions, you know? And so it can be really hard to navigate that. So that's cool. I love that. Everybody, I think, kind of deals with parent training a little differently. So it's kind of good for everybody to get a little different perspective. I know that we were also going to talk about um, how we can do better as professionals. So do you have some points and, and pointers on that, like us as a field or we as SLPs? Yeah. I mean, kind of what, what we've already talked about, like, you know, uh, making sure that we're supporting the parents as well. I think that's a huge part about being a better teammate and professional, a professional teammate. And then just kind of, it's interesting because I was listening to your podcast with, um, Mr. Baker. Oh, Braxton. Mm -hmm. Braxton, Yes. And, you know, just hearing about you guys are both ABA and SLPs Mm -hmm. or BCBA and SLPs Mm -hmm. and just kind of like right now what's happening in our world, you know, with, um, ABA is kind of under a lot of heat right now. And I think just as a profession, to support each other as well. And I think in one of your TikToks, you were saying, you know, I like, I'm always open to talk, you know, if you want to like have more discourse, I'm always, and I love that aspect of, and that mentality of it. And I think to be better professionals, we have to listen better to our fellow professionals and also like the communities that we're serving and not Mm -hmm. 
be so defensive and combative all the time. Like maybe we need to like step back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good. I think what's hard about those conversations and we've had, I've had one autistic person on and that's my goal is to have, you know, people with autism on the podcast too. And we, when I had Nathan on, we talked about just the idea. It was a very surface level conversation. I didn't want to get too deep with him about some of the, the main points because he actually works for an ABA organization. So, but we talked about, you know, saying people, person with autism versus autistic. And there's just so many, you know, everyone has very emotionally charged ideas about those things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think just the, the idea of collaboration, I think is really, really great. And I think that's very, very important. So I think that's good you bring it up because, you know, applied behavior analysis is a field that is is very rapidly growing. I've, I've been in BCBA for 10 years. So for me, this isn't anything, you know, this is not new. I've been in the field for a very long time. I'm old. I've been in doing this 20 years, actually, as a speech therapist. So um, (laughs) thank you. Thank you very much. But yeah, so I think those are good ideas just to be able to collaborate, to to have a team-based mentality. And I think that's true. I always talk to speech therapists and I always say, you know, like, believe it or not, like I get into some fights with BCBAs when I'm the speech therapist on the team, I get into some disagreements. Now we have a professional discourse about some things. Okay. I might, might be texting people like Braxton or some of my other SLP BCBA friends to say, I can't believe this happened. So I understand that there's definitely a divide and and it can be hard. But I I think that if you, it's okay to disagree about things, but um, the SLP BCBA me definitely says like, let's take data on this and let's, you know, talk about it. Because every speech therapist is going to have a different idea and every team member about how to work on communication. I actually was just doing a group supervision experience last month for my other business called Supervision Academy. We provide supervision to become a BCBA. Um, they have to get all this hours of supervision. And so I was talking about working on requesting and manding sessions. That's kind of, I was using this jar- jargon type term. And I said, you know what? When I work with my students, I really start working on fringe. Like I start working on their favorite things as they love Daniel the Tiger and jumping. And that's where I start. And one of the other speech therapists, actually, she's up in California too, Northern California. She was talking about, and she does like early start Denver model and all these things. Um, she was saying like, well, you know what? I usually work with like, I start with a core word. And that's okay. Like I said, this is not the way I would probably do it, but it's okay to have that type of discourse because I think we can't have this idea of group think that, you know, the analytical part of my brain says like, let's take very structured data because I like that. And then let's come back to the team, you know, and talk about those things. Do you have any BCBAs who are working on with your preschool students? Do you have anybody in your district or anybody that's an outside consultant? Yeah, we have district BCBAs who work on our team with us. Yeah. And I love them. I mean, I've, I've had great experiences with them. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to like the turf wars, you know, with SLPs, we kind of butt heads with BCBAs as far as, um, areas of treatment. And then also OTs, sometimes we kind of, uh, you know, on the medical side, um, and it's all a little bit fuzzy. So I think, I think just, just like you said, like having that collaboration mentality and is, is always just going to be the best to keep that professional relationship good. And I also think, you know, mentoring new SLPs is another way that we can make our profession and our field better. Because I feel like when we have, like you and I are both strong components, we believe in collaboration and a supportive like team. And so it's important for us to like give that back to Mm -hmm. the new SLPs that are graduating. And that's like, I again, grew up playing basketball and coaching basketball. And so teaching is a huge, I just love teaching. And so that's another thing where I'm like, let me just break it down for you. Like, let me just tell you like the nitty gritty. I mean, 
in our school districts, like I know it's like you go through grad school and you're like, oh my gosh, if I don't choose the right treatment strategy, like the world is going to end. And if I don't take data, if I make a wrong mark, it's <laughs> right. horrible. And I'm always like, stop. Like, but did you die? Did anybody die? Like, no. Then calm down. Yeah. Okay. Speech therapists are very, tend to be very type A and perfectionist. Well, I mean, they, you kind of just get that way because I know, you know, in undergrad, I, gra- I did graduate summa cum laude, but I, you know, because I just felt like everything had to be so perfect. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I was just very extremely driven because they scare you. Like you're not yes. going to get into graduate school. Like you have to have a 4.0 or you legit will not get into graduate school. But I know you've probably met a lot of people who were not able to get into graduate school. I mean, that's just like the reality of it. I mean, it's really scary. So it does make you nervous. I do like this idea of mentoring, uh, you know, CFYs. Like I do like this idea of of being able to offer that support. And I do think now with social media that a lot of people are very, you know, in tune with Instagram and now TikTok. And, you know, I think it's nice for them to see other people. I just had Chloe on. I don't know if you know her. Let me think. Does she live in California? I think she lives in Arizona. I can't think of her Instagram right now, but she always has really beautiful, you know, early elementary like lesson plans. And like she has the most beautiful Instagram feed. And it's like on one hand, like I love to look at that and it inspires me. But then on the other hand, you can't let that make you feel bad about your, you know, your sessions and things like that. But she's always a source of inspiration for me. So I think that social media can be like a nice way for people to to have some mentoring. But that actually sounds like you should add that to your business plan too. So mentoring CFs. Yeah. Yeah, I should. I'm I'm actually just putting on this new this IEP workshop specifically yeah. for like new SLPs and CFs because, you know, being in charge of running an IEP and being in charge of the IEP can be super daunting. It's a legal document. Like it can go to court, you Uh know, like what you write on it's, you know, it it matters that like that nobody died, but you could make things worse for yourself. So let's figure this out. (laughs) So I'm going to, I am going to try to do that for the first time. We'll we'll have to see how that goes. I'm excited for you. No, I saw that that was listed on Instagram because I feel like, gosh, it's just really hard to be a new speech therapist. And you just have so many things that you need to know how to do in the field. So I think you doing that, that webinar is going to be really great. I mean, I think people are really going to love that because, you know, I always think to myself, like what I'm doing with ABA speech you know, when I was 20 years ago working with an autistic student who, you know, was not engaged and had no way to communicate and engaged in unsafe problem behavior. And I, I went to my supervisor and said, like, I need some help here. Like, yeah. can you help me? I don't know what to do. Work on joint attention. I'm not sure what that looks like for this student because right. this is not what I learned in graduate school. I mean, and that's, right. I'm just being honest. So, you know, I wish that something like what I'm doing now existed back then because no one could even direct me to the information. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what led me on this path to, you know, work in a non-public program and to become a BCBA to help the kids who are hard to help. And sometimes people, you know, when I was working at the Cleveland Clinic, there were kids that were 18 with no functional way to communicate besides using problem behavior that was unsafe. And those students, Lindsay, had been in speech therapy, you know, for those 18 years prior. And so it just made me feel so sad for them. So I think 
all the dissemination you're doing and you know all the things that I'm doing, I know that we're reaching people and that it's helpful. And it may not be the people that comment or the people that even attend your webinar, but I know that you know what you're doing is sharing really great information. So yeah, yeah so keep it up. Keep doing it. Very cool. So I always end with these end two questions. What is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about communication in general? Just that communication is a whole. It's more than just the words that you're saying. It's even more than the signs and gestures that you're producing. It's the environment. It's the people in it. It's your relationship with people. So as we're working on communication, don't lose sight of the bigger picture, which is you know the child and the environment as a whole and that family unit together. So. Yes. I love that. So important. And where can people find out more about you and your work? So I do have a website, helpmegrowspeech.com. And then um, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, helpmegrowspeech.com. I do have a Facebook group called Speech Therapy for Kids. It doesn't give get as much love from me uh, because working full-time in the school districts and having a private practice, uh, you, you know this. And then yes. social media, you're just spread thin. I See, I don't have three kids. So, you know... <laughs> You you add that on your list and it's like, yeah. I don't know how you do it. It's a lot. It's a lot. Oh, awesome. Yes. Your Instagram and the TikTok. If you're on TikTok, you know, if you're not going to admit it today, you're, if you're not on there today, you'll be on there in six months, right? I mean, it's just happening. <laughs> Every yes. day a new speech therapist comes over. I'm like, oh, hey, friend, I know you. So yes. <laughs> uh, I love that. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.